Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Hey, Fade to Grey family, this is Chris. Fade to Grey is brought to you by the wonderful members of our Patreon who have decided that they'd like to spend at least $1 a month supporting the podcast. You can help Fade to Grey continue to put out great quality episodes like the one you're about to listen to right now. Some of the benefits of joining our Patreon group are bonus episodes. For an example, we did a bonus episode with Matt Carter that many of you have never heard because you're not part of the Patreon. We'll drop you into our exclusive Marco Polo group where you can chat with all of us and many of our guests. Head on over to FadeToGreyPodcast.com and sign up to be part of our family today. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Grey Podcast. Is there a God? I do believe in Jesus and I do believe in God. I just think religion fucks up everything. You can't go there. Jesus deserves a better Christianity. God was breathing, God was water, God was shoved down your throat. We just don't know, and nobody wants to admit it. Christianity's like autism, there's a wide spectrum of it. This changes everything. Hi everybody, welcome back to Fade to Gray. This is Elizabeth coming at you with an exciting interview. Today we have Seth and Lena and Rhea's back with us today and we're going to be interviewing Bonnie Lewis about a translation of the Bible that she is working on right now. So um, I guess this could be like the other lady takeover um, with Seth. <laughs> I was on the other one, so it was... You were on the other one. We'll just make you a regular on the Lady Takeover episodes. It's no problem. There you go. So, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you. It is so good to be here. I love hearing all these voices. I'm really excited about this. This is going to be fun. Yes. So, give us just a brief outline real quick. We have some specific questions, too, but... So you're translating the Bible? Yeah, I know. It's the it's so weird. Now when people people used to always ask me, what do you do? And I'd be like, well, I'm kind of doing this, kind of doing that. And now I was like, well, I'm kind of translating the Bible. Or I'm like, I'm translating the Bible. And you can imagine how quickly the, the conversation like, <laughs> dies. <laughs> um, yeah. Now it's like, wait, what? Um, so yeah, I just, um, we went through, um, let's see, I'm... Where do I start? I have a master's in theology. I grew up evangelical, and um, I would probably call myself an evangelical for about up until the last like five or six years ago. And we sort of had this terrible season where everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Um, to put that it, never happens in the church. It, no, it never, doesn't. So that was, it was an anomaly. <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> But it's so funny you say that because it does happen, but like I had never heard of it 
Do you know what I mean? Like, no one had ever been yeah. like, hey, I love Jesus and shit hit the fan. Like, <laughs> nobody said those <laughs> things. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even ask you if I was allowed to swear. Is that fine? Swear. We say oh the F word all the time. You're good. <laughs> oh, Fuck like, oh, yes. Come on, man. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, we had this, like, within the span of a year, um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um we got toxic black mold poisoning as a family. So we, like our house had black mold, but we didn't know. And so we were crazy sick for six months. We couldn't figure out why. We ended up moving. The black mold caused such health issues that um, it created this two herniated discs in my back, which ended up, I know, paralyzing me on the left side, waist down. And oh my gosh, I know it because they couldn't do anything to treat it because I found out that I was pregnant, which we had been trying for our second <sighs> child. Um, but then we delivered that son as a stillborn. So oh, it was oh. like, I know it was this whole awful, like when that was when I was 29 and um, when I turned 30, my husband got me a cake that said I survived the ship parade because that's what it felt like. Like it felt like I was just rolling through life and we just kept getting hit just like over and over and over again. And so that was a super, not only was that a hard season, but every answer that and everything I knew about God didn't hold up to what was happening in my life. So I really right. believed for such a long time that if you did the right things, that you would be blessed and things would go well for you. And I was doing all the things. I mean, I was leading the studies and doing the quiet times and like all the things you can do and still all this happened. And so that was really the beginning of an unraveling for me. But because of my um, education and my training and my year spent as being a pastor, I really loved the Bible. I mean, I still, I love it. And so for me in my deconstruction, that was tough because I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing that I appreciate on a spiritual level. I appreciate on an academic level and a historic level and a cultural level. And I'm not sure what to do with it now because when I go to read these stories, they're just flat. Like they're so two-dimensional and they're boring. Yeah. And I have to read 10 books to get through one of them to understand what's happening. And so um, I just had this idea of, wouldn't it be great if we could just have a translation that started with the original languages and translated though with the cultural background, the historical background, the literary genre in mind, because that matters how we read it. Um, and then also use that to inform us that these are real people. These are real people that had real, um, issues. And even if some of them, they weren't real, right? So like if we're doing Adam and Eve, right? But if we're using them as an example for something, then what they're feeling or thinking should mean something to us. And so I'm like, if we can dig in, if we could pull out their backstory, a little bit based on these other factors that we know of, if we could sort of pull out their backstory and with our experiential knowledge of psychology and just the human experience, then we have a fighting chance to connect with the Bible and find our own stories or find the stories of our neighbors. And so I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Like they have a Bible for everything. They have like the coffees lover Bible, <laughs> the, like they have yeah. everything, but it's all the same Bible. It's just like a different cover. <laughs> and so 
all the same <laughs> translations. And so I'm like, you know what? There isn't anything out here, and I think we need a new construct, and so I'm just going to make it. <laughs> and so I put the That's thing... Awesome. Yeah, so I put the thing on Kickstarter, and, like, there's all these rules. Like, you have to have all these fans and these followers, and, like, they say for an established author, you sh- if you get a $40,000 for a book, that would be a win. I've never published anything, and we raised $32,000. It got fully funded. I know. And so I just was like – and it was cool because it was all these, like, just single people being like, I need this in my life. I I want – I will read this Bible. It was just this grassroots, and we did it in a month, and I was so blown away. I honestly didn't expect it to get funded. And so now here we are, and now I get to do it. So it was a wild wild journey for sure. Well, that's fascinating. Before I, I have so many questions in regards to the actual project. Yeah. But I first just want to touch on I grew up Southern Baptist. Okay. And in that faith, women were not allowed to speak in church. They weren't allowed to preach. They weren't allowed to be pastors. Um, they weren't allowed into leadership roles. Now, um, I caught in there that you said, now I know you have a master's in theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you also said you are a pastor. Is that correct? Yes, both correct. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you that get it, there? <laughs> that in and of itself, I feel, is a is a big conversation starter. But I also want to talk about the scriptural and everything that you're doing there. But let's let's touch on that a little bit. Yeah, no, totally. So I sort of grew up non-denominational. Um, my mom was Lutheran and my dad was Methodist. So I think they were like, yeah, let's just find something in the middle. And so... <laughs> um, I grew up non-denominational and it was never said no in my early childhood, like that women can't do something, but it was also never modeled for me. So I never really understood or if, if it was a yes or no situation. Um, I just ma- mainly saw women in children's, you know, children's director positions or, you know, choir positions. And like, I always felt like, well, I'm so screwed. I knew I wanted to do something in ministry, but I always felt like I'm screwed. Like I don't have a ton of patience with the kids and I can't sing. (laughs) So there's not going to be a lot of options for me. Well, I went to, um, I went to undergrad in in Southern California and I got my bachelor's in world religions and I absolutely loved it. I found learning about all these world religions was not only fascinating on a theological level and a historical level. But it was so enlightening on a cultural level. I absolutely loved that I knew something about somebody um, and the way they viewed the world and the universe when they said, oh, I'm a Muslim or I'm Jewish. And so I absolutely loved that. And I realized I didn't know very much about what it meant to say I was a Christian on the same level that I felt like now I understood some of these other ones just because of the education I had gotten. So I decided I would go and get, um, I would do more schooling. I just, I really love to learn. So I went and got my my master's. And it, even then, I didn't necessarily have an idea of like, I'm going to be a pastor or I'm going to um, write a Bible translation. I was just there to learn, really. Um, but in my master's classes, you have to, you have to do preaching courses to get your Um, master's in theology. And so I did some preaching courses and I absolutely loved it. I loved diving into the text on like an exegetical level and then preaching it. And I got some really good feedback of people saying like, Hey, I think you're really gifted in this. And so I just kind of paid attention to that and started going, Oh yeah, I think, I think I can do this. And I was brought up in a household that my parents were like, I mean, if you had to err on a side, they erred on the side of like, 
we thought we could literally fly to the moon if we wanted to, you know, <laughs> like that's how they were. So it didn't really cross my mind that I couldn't do it until I kind of made it known like, oh, I think I might want to preach or I might want to be a pastor. And then people really pushed back against that and said like, oh, you're not, that's not allowed. And for me, that was a really, um, that was a really gut wrenching kind of confrontation because I really felt and still do feel and believe that like, this is something that is, um, unique, uh, as a person that I am, like, I would not be me if I wasn't doing this, if I wasn't, um, learning the Bible, if I wasn't preaching, if I wasn't translating. And so for someone to say, and, and I believe God made me that way. So if someone were to say like, well, the way God made you is just inherently wrong and bad, and you can't actually live into that. That was a very confusing time for me. Um, which I'm sure all of us can relate to on some level. Um, and that really goes back to, I'm sure, you know, I mean, it's just so, and that really goes back to, for me, at least, the issue of original sin um, in Genesis 3 is like we have been made to believe for so long that God hates us and that we are like a pile of crap and the like we are so lucky that Jesus swooped in at the last minute and like and not only does that reduce us but it reduces the life and death of Jesus like and so it was a big awakening for me to go oh my gosh like what do I really believe and so it was one of those things I really struggled to get there, to get to a egalitarian standpoint for about, honestly, like five or six years. It was really tough mm-hmm. because I wanted to do right. I wanted to understand. But I really think because I um, I didn't give up and I couldn't say no to it, I just like it was the Holy Spirit was, I believe, was so pressing on me. And it was just, it was so important to me to do it. I just couldn't be myself without doing it. Um, and so I was like, I just kept working at it and kept understanding. And once I felt comfortable, um, I was like, you know what? No, this is who I am. And if I end up being wrong, I don't think at the end of, at the end of the day, anyone's going to say like, you're the worst because you told people God loved them. (laughs) So I just decided like, you know what? I'd rather be, I'd rather be wrong than right. But now I have no problems with it. Now I'm like, no, that's totally fine. And I don't even think about it anymore. But for a lot of people, I know that that's a real thing. And it's a real um, question that they have. And I know a lot of women have, have shared their stories with me of just saying like, I'm not allowed to do this. And I feel called. And I always tell them like, then you shouldn't be at that church like that. Women are free. We are equal. We should be with the men. And you absolutely have a place at the table. I really like that. I know I've I've struggled with that. I was a worship leader for 19 years. So I definitely got the pushback of your woman, stay quiet. I had been, I've even been in positions where I'm leading worship and had guys come up behind me on stage and be like, sit down. We got this. Mm. Um, in the middle of a service, you know, no big no, deal. No, thank you. Yeah. So... I appreciate that point of view. How do you reconcile the scripture about women being quiet? Yeah, so because that's people always use that for me. Oh yeah, to- <laughs> you totally. Need to be quiet. Sit yeah, down. <laughs> you're, like, you're supposed to shut up. And I always say like, well, I'm screwed like in all areas because I never stop talking and I'm also never quiet. <laughs> <laughs> this is, can't be good for me. <laughs> yeah, um, I can relate. Yeah. I think Lena can too. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I can't help it. I just love life so much. Raya doesn't keep her mouth shut. Raya, Raya is quiet in in the right times, but then she. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, we know each other too well. Sorry, Bonnie, this is all about you. No, it Tell shouldn't us. be. This is why it's all of us here. I want to hear your guys' story. Um, for me, I um, I really start and look at the cultural background. I mean, so the Bible is um, is a culturally bound book, whether we want to admit that or not, right? It just <laughs> is. <laughs> and so, you know, it wasn't just drop down. And, and that's part of the beauty of it is like God always has used his people to tell his story. And so part of the beauty is that we see some of these things living out in real time situations. So all the letters, all the New Testament letters are a response to issues that have come up in these churches and they're addressing these specific issues. So we would be wildly amiss to pretend that we could take any of those letters and just strictly exactly apply it to our situations because it was written for a very specific church in a very specific time for a very specific situation. So even in that yeah. context, for example, and I would have to look it up, but one of the things that was, um, I'd have to look up exactly which one it was because there's two two things at play that you see in a lot of these letters, one in First Timothy, and then you see it again. I think the other one might be in Corinthians, but a big issue was cult worship. So there was a lot, I mean, this is a brand, also remember, this is a brand new church, right? This is a brand new movement. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot, and it also wasn't huge. Like, I mean, I think sometimes I know for me, just given my background, sometimes I read into it, this like Western evangelical superpower mindset. And it really wasn't <laughs> that. I mean, it was like 12 people who told their family like, hey, come to this, come to my living room, right? <laughs> and people mm -hmm. are like, I don't yeah. know <laughs> do that. Um, and so, and it was based on this theory of like this guy who like, he died, but he lived. I mean, it was this whole radical, bizarre thing and um, still is. And so one of the things was cult worship. And, and during that time is they had a real issue of going, this is defining who they were. This is who we are. This is who we believe in. This is how we should conduct ourselves so that people know the difference between us and people know the difference between them. So one of the cults that was worshipped was um, a group of women. It was like a worship to a fertility god. And one of the things is that they would often um, like dress promiscuously or get like wasted or you know all these different things and so they would say or speak out in churches and scream or come to the churches even there was a lot of widows and they would say they would come to the churches because as a widow you're basically the lowest rung in society a you're a woman b you've been married like you're damaged goods in this society mm -hmm. and see like you have nobody to vouch for you. You have nobody to give money to your suitor and you probably have children. So you come with this like whole heap of baggage. And so widows would also come to churches and try to basically like get men to fall in love with them. And so they wanted to really set a precedent of like, Hey, that's not who we worship. We don't worship this fertility God so this is how we conduct ourselves and we show that, hey, this is not us. And then also like, hey, women, you're worth more than that. You don't have to flaunt yourselves. Like we believe in a God who you aren't damaged goods. And so if we, if you act this way, it's, it shows that you respect yourselves and there too, you will garner respect. So that's kind of a mix of both passages. But for me, it's really about cultural context because um, I think it sheds a lot of light when we look at it that way. Yeah, it really does. It's interesting how us and our culture, we've flipped it completely mm -hmm. and totally. Yeah. Like women equal shame mm -hmm. and yeah. therefore shut up because you represent shame. Yeah. And like you, because Eve ate the apple 
And so therefore, you yeah. will totally be deceived, and so will everybody else, and you can't be trusted, and <laughs> it's this whole thing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's so sad. It's really, really, it's really heartbreaking. And it's all it's so embedded. Like, I don't know if any of you have dealt with this too, but I was often, even, even like you're saying, even in a pastoral role sometimes, often the idea of like, well, you can't be alone with the male pastor mm-hmm. because obviously he will commit adultery and it'll be your fault. You know, it was, yep. and we see that outside of church too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like women get yeah. blamed all the time. Like rape victims are like, well, it was because you drank or because you wore that. Right. And you're like, no, I'm sorry. That has nothing. No, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Since when is their actions my fault, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's really deeply embedded. But um, I think we would, under, as a church, we would really benefit in understanding to have some of that cultural background. But the problem is, is that we live in this, at least in the American evangelical church, um, A, a lot of the pastors are like so strapped for time and resources. Like they're not, I know a lot of pastors and for better or worse, I mean, it's not their fault, but like are getting sermons off the internet because they they don't have time. Even though they have the education and they have the schooling, we just live in this go, go, go fast paced. So either they're not doing the work or they're not creating resources so that people can understand. But at the same time, we really treat the Bible in this way of it is something that someone tells us what it means and then that's it. And that was never how the Bible was ever meant to be treated. It was always supposed to be this beautiful dance and like turning of a gem almost where it was always done in community. These passages and scriptures were always worked out. People brought in their stories just like this, just like you guys are doing here in this podcast of like, I came from this background and this is what I heard or my ancestors told me this or I think he's saying this and always worked out in community, but that's ended. And so a lot of times you go to church and you hear these things and you're like, well, I don't know and I don't have the resources, I don't have the time. And so I guess that's just right, even if it doesn't feel like the Jesus we know. You mentioned that you were getting some some pushback, especially as you kind of uh, grew up with putting out this Bible translation. Mm-hmm. What is when you get pushback when people say that you shouldn't be in a leadership position, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be speaking up, that you shouldn't be taking these steps? What's your comeback? How do you how do you address that? Um, you know, it's been a while since I've gotten pushback for just being a woman. Um, I hate to say it, but like I I don't know if this is the right or wrong thing to do, but I I generally don't engage anymore in that debate. Um, I just think it's not productive. Normally people like for you that just asked me, Hey, what is, what do you say to that verse? I know you're asking because you genuinely want to know. Um, normally people that are in close relationship with me that might have an issue or a problem, we're in close relationship. And so we're discussing these things and that's a safe place. Somebody who I have no idea that's yelling at me on the internet. I've learned to just not necessarily engage because they're not usually in it for a genuine dialogue. But at the same time, if given the opportunity to engage or someone in a close relationship asks me, I really want to know where they're coming from. I want to know what it is they believe in why. And that would be my first question. I think a lot of us, and me included, that's why I'm on this journey to translate the Bible this way, is we have these so many inherited beliefs that 
we don't know necessarily that we even have. But then when somebody rubs against them, it sort of like alerts us in a way. And we're like, well, that's wrong. You can't do that. But we don't always take the time to stop. And so my first question always is like, well, like, let's talk about it. Like why I'm okay if you have a problem with me. That doesn't bother me. Um, Because I don't think that that's a reflection on me as much as I think it's probably a reflection on you. And not necessarily in a bad way. Um, but it's okay with me if you disagree with me. I was on a podcast that one of the people didn't come on and the other person that was hosting it didn't say like, oh, um, and this is a while ago, not with Tim Shell, something different. And they were like, oh, he can't, you know, he couldn't come or whatever. And I think it was just because they didn't want me on there. The other person didn't want me because I was a woman. And I was sort of bummed about that because I don't have a problem dialoguing with somebody who disagrees with me. I think that's super healthy to be able to dialogue about those things. But I don't I don't take it personally. And instead, I would really like to try to focus on, well, let, let's talk about it. Like, why why do you have that idea? What do you think? How do you read this? And I'm also totally comfortable with agreeing to disagree. I have a few things that I'm like, yeah, I, I'll think about that. That might, I'll, I'll let you know, you know, and think on it. But there are some things that aren't up for debate for me. Women in leadership is one of them. And if we agree to disagree, like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I don't know if that's like the right thing to do. <laughs> that's just no, I, think I, do. That is, I think that's a totally appropriate response. We aren't going to agree on everything. And specifically yeah. when we're talking about the Bible, I mean, there's 20 different translate. Well, I don't want to say translation because you're developing one, 20 <laughs> different versions of every verse and, yeah. and ways of viewing it um, that we're never all going to agree. Mm-mm. Right. And I don't think we should, you know, mm-hmm. like I think if we reach a point where we're all agreeing and we're never dialoguing and we're never seeking and we're never questioning and we're never going, gosh, that's tough for me. We're never wrestling. Then like we should be, if we reach a point where we're, we've stopped doing that and we all agree, then I, I were, I would worry that like, okay, we've, we've really missed it. We've missed the conversation that we should be having. Yeah. I think one of the things that's weird to me is learning about how rabbis and, um, historically, um, the leaders in the Bible would have handled the texts and the discussions they would have had. And then realizing like somewhere along the way, Christianity was like, you can't discuss this anymore, mm-hmm. which is really odd to me now finding out as an adult, like, Oh, you mean before it would have been fine. And we could have just talked about this. Like, why do we have this weird rule that's creating division and mm-hmm. hurting people? Mm-hmm. So it's really bizarre. D- like, is there, do you think there was a certain point in time that we really moved away from, being able to discuss things or do you think that maybe like just when Christianity was born, it kind of was inherently protective of whatever things it developed or, you know, like as we became into our own faith, we just were like, Oh, we can't discuss this any longer from the yeah. beginning. No. Yeah. You know, cause I read people are like, Oh my gosh, you're such a, like when I came out the translation, like, Oh, you're such a heretic. You can't mm-hmm. um, like some, some, <laughs> some guy wrote me in like in the Isaac story, he's in the Abraham Isaac story. He's like, I'm like, well, what specifically do you have a problem with? This is like a person I used to know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, for example, you say in there that Isaac gasped. And I'm like, really? That's the hill you're going <laughs> to die on? <laughs> like, wow. And he's like, he's like, how do you know wow. he gasped? I'm like, well, I'm just assuming that like if my dad was trying to kill me, I might also gasp. 
Like it was so. Like, that I that's I not feel universal, like that's Bonnie. That's like, I fair. also might be like, oh fuck, and like, I you know, I'm like, I can't. Like, I feel like that was a safe bet to say gasped. Can and you so, put yeah. that in there? Can you put in just an oh fuck in there? I should. You know, it's so, it is so funny. I can't tell you the amount of people that have been like, can you write another version where you swear? no we'll pay for it (laughs) so funny but like i that shed light on me so much of what you're saying of like oh my gosh where did we get to this point that like we can't even be creative like we we are so hell-bent on this thing being word for word like we can't ever even apply it creatively or whatever and so I really dug into that and like in second temple period there are so many writings where they did exactly what Tim Shell this bible translation is doing because it helped them reimagine the stories so that they could find their own stories because by that time it's like generations past and so I really think I, I don't even think on the outset Christianity ever intended that there would be this weird dualistic split between Judaism mm. and Christianity. There is such an incarnation theology within the whole thing. And just like, I mean, to borrow from Roar, but this like cosmic Christ of like, there's just this overarching theme that you see. And so I don't mm. even think that there was an intention for it to be these two different religions, like going head to head. I think that just down the road, and I really learned this from Peter Enns in his book, um, How the Bible Actually Works. But one of the things he said that I was like, oh, that makes so much sense is he's like, there is so much doctrine and there is so much process that we adhere to or that we believe in that we have decided is total truth. But really, it came up because people had questions. And so the church just said, this is why. So, Mm -hmm. like, original sin would be one of them. Inerrancy would be one of them. Of, like, hey, what does this mean? Like, how did that happen? And then them saying, oh, it's just because the Bible is written this way. And so now we have all read that into the text. And so I think, like, in an effort to better understand God and to better understand the story, people came up with answers and just made them, I mean, the other problem is, is that we have all been led to believe to not trust ourselves. And to not mm-hmm. trust our own instincts. And so mm-hmm. we look to everybody else to find the definitive answer for us because we want a definitive answer. It's a lot easier than believing in a God that's too big and believing in a Bible that doesn't necessarily make sense and that we have to work at it. It's a lot easier to know all the stuff up front, to know what you're signing up for. The essence of the fundamentalist movement. Yeah. Right? Yes, I mean, exactly. we want to be able to control. We mm-hmm. want to know the answers and we want to be able to be in control. Yeah. And we're in an information age where we can get the answer to anything we could ever dream of just by typing into Google. Yeah, exactly. So this whole idea of mysterious, mystic, um, this whole creativity and unknown about God that I think was very prevalent probably in Christ's time, we don't have that anymore. Right. We don't have it. And, and what's so interesting is like, you could take all the information we have and go, oh my gosh, like, look at this abundance of information. Like how cool that God is so big. And instead we're like, no, that's all heresy. And unless you believe this one thing, you know? And so I just think over time, we've learned not to trust ourselves. We've learned that, um, mystery is bad. And like you said, like it feels better to be within a system 
than it does to be mm-hmm. outside of one. And systematic so I, theology. Mm-hmm, and so I think that's mm-hmm. where it came from. I mean, I don't, that's the best I can guess. And I feel sad. I feel sad about the whole thing, but I feel also encouraged because I see now like conversations like this and people going, we, I'm not sure if I believe that and that's okay. I can still be loved by God and I, or whatever it is. And um, I'm allowed to question and, and I'm allowed to trust myself in that process. I'm curious between the, and I'm, I am asking a lot of questions here, but the bridge between you being a pastor and leading a church and then going through mold in your house, <laughs> the, the shit, the shit the storm, shit if you will, yes. that, that, mm-hmm. that hit your life mm-hmm. to then you deciding, Oh, you know what? I'm going to take the Bible and I'm going to retranslate it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious on that process. The, no, the bridge- I'm so glad you asked that because to me, that feels like a plus B equals C, but nobody else <laughs> seems to think that. And I never remember that. Um, so I was for timeline sake. So I was in theology school and not a pastor just like a writer and I said this at the BC con but I was wanted to write but I like wasn't sure if like women could write about God and so (laughs) I was a blogger like a food blogger um with just like like a sermon with like a a food photo (laughs) like a recipe (laughs) but like not I didn't make up any recipes because I can't really cook. You know what I mean? So I just like <laughs> took other people's recipes out. Whatever works, You're, Bonnie. I'm sure people works. read it and they were like, this is a great, oh, it's another recipe that's not hers. <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyways, um, and then we got mold poisoning. And so it wasn't until after that, like after my deconstruction started, that I started working in churches. So, and that started small as well. I started um, working on, I worked at a few churches where I was the like research director and I would help research the sermons, but never allowed to preach. Um, And then (laughs) I ended up quitting that job because I found out that basically they were like, they, they basically pulled me into a meeting and like slapped my hand and told me I wasn't allowed to have any opinions and I couldn't talk in meetings anymore. And so I quit. And um, at that time, we joined a house church um, with some great people we knew. And so we started, um, we joined the pastoral team of that house church. At the same period of time, a good friend of mine had started a church in Orange County and he was like, hey, I really need a woman um, to help preach and lead and like you are someone I would want on my team and so I was like okay great and um he had always I had known him forever like even when I was in seminary he'd always done such a good job championing me and so I said yes like hey I I can't go here all the time because I'm involved in this house church but absolutely um like I'm in and so um I started helping pastor kind of both those situations um and the problem, though, is because the guy, both the people that in Orange County, like everybody is Christian famous. I don't know if you know that about Orange County, but like everybody's Christian famous in Orange County. Yes, that's where I'm from. Oh, what part? <laughs> uh, I grew up in like where LA County and Orange County border, but I left Brea last. Oh, so okay. Did you go to church far- out there? 
Uh, yes, I did. Where did you go? <laughs> Let's talk later. Okay, right. <laughs> we maybe intersected paths. Lena. We might have. <laughs> um, so anyway, every, so you know what I'm saying? Like everybody's like Orange County pastor famous. It's weird. It's really weird. It's like this weird culture. And so both the people that had started this house church and this other church were Orange County famous. And so because then I was helping pastor these, these two churches, I got asked to speak a ton at different things like women's events or other churches or like, you know, tea time, you know, whatever it is. And, um, I really enjoyed it because I got to speak and I had just spent like all these time in the dark ages wondering if I would ever speak. And, um, (laughs) but at the same time I grew to not like it because, there was a certain expectation of me being a woman of like, even if we're letting you speak, like these are the topics that are allowed and these are the topics Mm. that aren't allowed. And I felt like I was just like kind of bringing these really fluffy and like, I, I'm obviously I'm the one that wrote the messages, but these really kind of fluffy messages that just were not me and nothing that I really at the end of the day cared about very much. And so we actually ended up, that's when we moved to Austin, right around that same time. And so when I moved here, I just said, you know what, like, I need to figure out who I am. I need to figure out what it is I want to do. I need to figure out, like, what I think I could contribute, if anything, because I don't want to add to the noise of just being this, like, another female blogger with, like, a good Instagram account. And so I was (laughs) like, I need to... And, like, it wasn't even that good. You know what I mean? I was like, this is mediocre at best. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm going to just put the brakes on for a minute. And so for, you know, eight or nine months, I just did that. And I thought maybe that that was it for me. Maybe that was just my little stint. And now I'm on to other things and that's fine. And um, But I just kept coming back to, like, what do I do with the Bible? What do I do with that? And at Mm -hmm. the time, I really didn't know a lot of people that also had deconstructed. Um, I had gone to a liturgist event that had... I'm jealous. Yeah. It was so, and it was like back in the day before they were like super cool, you know? So like tickets were like $10. And it was like in this event. And there was like nobody wow. there. I know. I feel like an original nice. person. You were on the ground floor. I was. I was so... But like also really quiet about it because it was the <laughs> You know what's We're funny? all slightly jealous. We didn't get in on that. I know. You yep. know what is so funny? I like never tell anyone this because, but I feel safe with you guys, is that and whoever else This is being broadcast to the entire world. You're like, wait, remember. That, we have 110 listeners. Don't worry. I love it. That's how the ground, that's how they start. That's how the ground movement starts. Okay. Um is that in college, I would, I've, I've always been a long distance runner. I just like it. It like helps my anxiety, whatever. I'm a nicer person if I run like the whole thing. And so in college, I would always go running. But then one day a week, I would say I went running, but I actually would go on a speed walk and I would listen to as many Rob Bell sermons as I could, but I never would tell anyone because I was so terrified. Uh, Everybody would yell at me. You'd get in trouble for that one for sure. Yeah, you really need to be careful with Rob Bell. He, you cannot listen he, to Rob Bell. He and spun this is out. Like pre Velvet Elvis, even. Do you know what Ooh. I mean? Oh. You guys, I so you may have been okay if it was pre Velvet Elvis. At you might have been okay. You were, yeah. I mean, it was like still fringy, you know, and it was really. <laughs> 
But now I'm out <laughs> in the open, you guys. I listen to Rob Bell. <laughs> so Have you read A Racing Hell? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm dabbling in a lot. So, um, oh <laughs> so anyway, I was at the literacy event, and they had this amazing communion experience that, like, shifted everything for us. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, communion can mean something. Like, it was, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in the church, and I never have experienced communion like I did there. And so I was like, I know there are people out there that are deconstructing. I don't know them personally. And so I was like, I need to know them. And so I basically just started listening to the conversations and going, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. And I felt at home that there were other people on the same journey that I was on. And so I just joined any groups I could find online, any conversations, read any of the books, listening to podcasts. And um, we're sitting, I remember this like clear as day, it was like almost two years ago, and we're sitting there and I'm like, my husband's like, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to do? Like you seem unhappy, you seem not fulfilled. So like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, if I could do anything, I would write a new Bible translation. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, like, what would it be? And so I kind of tell him what is now Tim Shell. And he was like, well, then why don't you do it? And I was like, (laughs) well, because I just said a Bible translation. Like, are you even listening? (laughs) He's like, like, yes, I'm listening. And I'm wondering what's stopping you. And I'm like, well, I don't know. People don't do that. And he's like, well, until now. And I was like, oh, I hate you because now you're going to make me do it. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, yes, I will. Right? How dare you encourage my dream? <laughs> exactly. He's like, yes, of course I will. He's like, Bonnie. And so we went on, like, so for the next year and a half, I literally developed, like, what was it even going to be? Like, I didn't even know. And, like, who would it be for? And, and I ended up going, okay, this is me. Like, I am not this person that just says these, like, spiritual things or whatever. But, like, I am a person that digs in and is not afraid to be uncomfortable and not afraid to ask questions and, like, I also love and appreciate my education and I'm not afraid to use that and I'm not afraid to ruffle feathers, but I'm also super excited about the healing that this is bringing in these conversations I'm having mm-hmm. as I'm being like, Hey, would you read something like this? Does this make sense to you? And so that's how I got there. That was a really long sort of winding journey to your answer your question. <laughs> I just want to thank you for sharing it because what I've found is I've deconstructed Mm-hmm. but I haven't known where to go next, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what post-deconstruction looks like for me. And kind of hearing your story, you were very involved. You were not only involved, but you were a pastor. And then you deconstructed, and now you're creating a Bible version. Do you mm-hmm. feel that creating this Bible translation is a way of post-deconstruction, that it's a way of moving forward in your faith while also remaining deconstructed and being able to separate somewhat from the trauma that's been created by the church experience to Mm -hmm. some extent. Yeah. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I always say people will write me and say like, I can't thank you enough for writing this. I can't wait to get like my hands on it. And I'm like, this is as much for you as it is for me. This is super healing to do this. Um, and it is a part of what I would call my reconstruction because like right. I, um, I definitely deconstructed in the same thing. Like I didn't know what to do, but I knew I wanted to do something. And part of that's my personality. Part of that's my like need to 
tie things up and be like, okay, now we did something out of this, you know? Um, but the, the best part is like this thing, it doesn't tie anything up, you know, it asks more questions than it does. But, um, the Bible's really good at that. I know. I know. <laughs> Jesus you... never answered a question. I know. <laughs> ever. Ever. And I suspect well, people are always like. Let me tell you a story. I know. I suspect <laughs> people are like, when I go to heaven, I'm going to ask. I'm like, good luck. You're not getting any of those answers. Yeah. He never answers anything. <laughs> it's always he asks more questions. I'm like, dude, I just want an I just answer. One. Just, <laughs> just one. come on. I know. He is the best. He is the best teacher. What do you think? <laughs> I know. Like, and like, it's so funny because I like I try it on my kids. Like, I'm gonna tell you it, and he, my kids are like, okay, move on. <laughs> and I'm like, that is how I feel at most times. <laughs> Parables awesome. never work on my kids. It's like, no, come on, I'm trying to teach like, you like Jesus did. So out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. But no, I would totally say that it's it's just for me as it is for anyone else because it's it's really put um, a new construct for me and I think for other people from the feedback I've gotten of going and and I say that in our Kickstarter video like this is for the spiritually wandering or the spiritually homeless of people that are like I don't know what to do next. I've deconstructed, I want to stay away from the trauma, but this is still something I'm interested in finding out if I believe, or I do believe and I, but I need a new framework and I need a new construct. And for me, there were so many verses that were always either preached to me wrong with poor theology that I know better now or used as a weapon. And I Mm -hmm. couldn't just open my Bible and read that again, but I wanted to. And I think the Abraham Isaac story is a great, that's why I started with that one is like, we've all, if we've been in the church for more than five minutes, have heard the story of Abraham and God asks him to kill his son and Abraham's fine with that and Isaac's fine with it. And then like, whoops, just kidding. You don't have to kill your son. And everybody seems fine. And I've always read that and been like, none of that's fine. And why isn't anyone saying that? (laughs) Like, I don't understand. And like, that would be a good example because if you're taught, no, you just have to do exactly what God says whenever he says. And if that means killing someone else, if that means, you know, and like Abraham's this great man of faith because he just whatever. And I've always been traumatized by that, by go- because then the answer <laughs> is, well, if you're not going to do that, then you're not a good Christian. Or right. You don't love God enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that was a perfect starting place for me to go. I don't think that's what the story says. And I'm going to dig in and find out if it does. And oh my gosh, it doesn't. And so here's a way that I can still appreciate this story and who God is, but I can separate myself from the trauma of it. Mm-hmm. And so are you're going through the entire Bible or only parts of the Bible? So, so far, only 20 stories. Um, I Like I said, I really didn't think the Kickstarter was going to get funded because <laughs> I don't know anyone. So I was like, ah, <laughs> like maybe my mom will put up to it. And like, I can't tell you right, how yeah. disappointing it was when they were like, you can't fund, you can't you know, buy your own book. I was like, well, great. Because now, (laughs) but it was like, oh my gosh, it really struck a chord. Like people were like, I need this. I need this. I need this. And I was like, oh my goodness. So it's 20 stories. It's 10 in the old Testament and 10 in the new. And it's all stories that we have heard a million times that have either been preached wrongly or used in abusive ways. Like obviously a lot Mm -hmm. has in the Bible, but the most common of like anybody that's grown up in it or been to church camp or a men's breakfast or a woman's tea or whatever. 
Um, <laughs> and so it's those 20. And then we'll just see what happens. Like if someone was like, if later we wanted to do more, maybe we could do more. We'll see. But for now, it's just the uh, those 20 stories. So it's yeah, like a, awesome. a Bible storybook for deconstructing adult Christians. Yes. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. But yes, that's exactly right. We should put some badass artwork in there and just... Oh, there you go. Yeah, you know cool. what? We do have an artist and he's so legit. So that was one of the things um, for backers. So like we're going to release it again after backers get it, but people that bought the first copy or whatever they get the artwork so he's doing 20 original pieces of art but his method's really cool because he blends old with new and so it's like this kind of like exactly what tim shell is it's like a new take on an old thing so it's really cool but um people that don't buy it first round won't get the art that's awesome yeah i'm super curious how you came from a place of dealing with this shit storm as it's described (laughs) And how did you come to a place of, I'm going to take the Bible and I'm going to retranslate it as opposed to just saying like all of this is shit? Yeah. Um, I think I, yeah, that is a great question. I started being like, okay, either none of this is real or it is real, but I've misunderstood it. And Mm -hmm. so for me and my, just the way I, mostly although i fail a lot but i would like to approach things is is to go okay i there's there's a high probability that i'm wrong in this this scenario that i've been misunderstanding it and um just the way my brain works like i also really want to learn things so i was like i'm gonna dive in and dig in here because even if it is all wrong at least then i know it do you know what i mean like at least Mm -hmm. i know Mm -hmm. on an intellectual level just because that's how my brain works um And so I just kind of started doing the work, like going to the original languages and going to the Greek and bringing out old books from my schooling and reading a crap ton and just sort of like laying it all out there. And um, for me, I find the Bible fascinating. I find it so incredibly fascinating that the history of it, I find it in and of itself and then what the church has done with it, like the whole story of it, I find it to be extremely fascinating and I really do love it. I um, I love the cultural context. I love like the literary genius of the whole thing. There's so much depth like in the words they choose and the way they structure things and the way where they put in the original languages where they put sentences and where they don't because it was an oral Mm. book first. And like, there's so much about it that I find to be really fascinating. And it tells us so much about history and culture and society. And so, um, I just kept coming back to it. Do you know what I mean? And I, Mm -hmm. even in everything I read, I was like, no, I do. I do believe in Jesus and I do believe Mm -hmm. in God. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do believe that the Bible has something to say to us, Um, I think that a lot of times, um, what I, cause like there were so many things that like what I knew to be academically true was not at all what I ever heard in church. And so I had Mm -hmm. a really big desire to reconcile those two things, um, and admit going, okay, this is a dangerous road to walk down because what if it is this awful thing I've heard in church and it is this bad theology and it is something I don't trust. Um, but being willing to open that road and being willing to go, um, if this is supposed to be something that speaks to us and this is the God that I believe that he is, and this is who I believe Jesus is, then I'm not too scared to walk down that path and try to figure it out, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I fall into a camp with you. I can't, 
I can't look at the world and not see a Jesus or a God. Like mm-hmm. I love Jesus. Still. So, yeah. so I, I, but I know a lot of people who see a lot of discrepancies with the Bible. And mm-hmm. so they, do you see those discrepancies as just an error in translation and that you're finding um, a proper translation by looking at the original text? Or do you still find uh, discrepancies as you're looking at the translation? No, so I don't at all think that like, Tim Shell is like the definitive or like the better or the best. I think it's a brand new construct on how to view it. I think it's a, mm-hmm. an opening of the Bible that is going to ask a lot of questions or going to ask people to f- struggle and wrestle with to find answers. I had one guy that was like, hey, I read your passage. I ended up reading it in 10 different translations. I called my best friends. We had beer over it. We talked about it and we think you're a heretic. And I'm like, you know what's great is that you did exactly what the thing was supposed to get you to do, (laughs) which was have a conversation about it and Mm -hmm. think about it more than just like listen to a sermon and go home. So I'm like, if you hate it, I don't care because it just accomplished exactly (laughs) what I was supposed to do. So um, discrepancies in the text, I mean, I guess it really depends on what it is you're specifically talking about. But for me, again... If I believe that the Bible is a culturally bound book, and I believe these are real people that wrote it, um, and I believe that it spans over this whole history of time. So if I see something like a law, for example, in Exodus, and then I see that same law and it's different in Leviticus, for me that makes sense because there are so many years that pass in between then. And these are different cultures and these are different people. And so God is continually working and like sort of moving with them and in this way to say, hey, this is who we are, you know, and this is who you are. So it doesn't bother me when I see something that I can't understand. To me, that is like a puzzle piece that I get to then dive in and try to figure out or let it simmer until... Mm for, I don't know, 30 years, maybe, you know what I mean? Like the mystery of the thing doesn't, um, doesn't upset me the way that it used to, I guess. Okay. You mentioned kind of looking at the cultural context, looking at the hermeneutical context, really. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you have a specific process you're using? I mean, you mentioned going back and reading the Greek, the Aramaic, the Hebrew, um, I'm assuming you're reading other theologians as well. I'm getting other translations, other versions, um, is there a specific process by which you go through in rewriting these stories? Yeah. So first, um, I just, I like I said, I, I look at, or like you said, actually, the original languages of it. And I go through and read that and go, okay, here's one, you know, in this word, it means these 10 different things. So where is that used elsewhere? Why did we use this one here? Does that matter? And then I also spend a lot of time on, especially in Greek, I'm not as excellent on this in Hebrew, um, but especially in the Greek, on the sentence structure and the verb choices that they used Mm -hmm. and the way that they wrote it. Like, they just use a different, even like the word that should have the most emphasis in the Greek is always up front, even if it doesn't make sense in the sentence structure. Mm -hmm. So that changes things. So spend a lot of time there. Um, And then I do look at other translations to go, what did they pick and why? Um, but then I read, I mean, so I just did Genesis two and three, just finished that one. And I think I read or referenced at least somewhere between 80 and 90 commentaries, historical sources, um, different theologians and different things. And so what's neat about it is that, um, it's a general consensus of, 
here's like all these people and the general consensus is this word means this or this is what was happening during this time and I really love it because I'm really leaning on the shoulders of these total and complete field experts do you know what I mean like I am not um, like an ancient Near Eastern expert by any means but hey these 45 people are <laughs> so I can like dive through their stuff and so I really take all of that into account and try to run the gamut of this is someone I don't necessarily agree with to like this someone I have all their books but like try to run the gamut and go how did we end up here and what's mm -hmm. the history of that here and also say well when we use this word what has come out of that and is that who you believe Jesus to be or is that what Bi mm. the Bible says about God mm -hmm. and be able to say yes or no to that you know what I mean mm. I think that we should all be able to do that but we don't we just don't always and you know I'm totally one of those people but this has given me a chance to be able to be able to do that you know so so that's been really neat so that's a little bit of my process it depends it definitely depends like when I do the Hebrew I also um, often talk with my friend who's a rabbi. We went to middle school together and now she's a female rabbi. And so we like oh, high five wow. on the phone and chit chat. I know <laughs> she's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. She's awesome. So it's um, not what you know, it's who you know. I know. It's <laughs> Use your resources. It's true. Like, I mean, so it's great because like, and so in, in Tim Shell, I'll list all the all the sources I use, but it's awesome because I'm really and truly relying on these amazing theologians and experts in their fields to go like, Hey, the general consensus here is like, this is what was happening during that time. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we know that, you know, so-and-so wore this or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been asking so many questions because I'm just so fascinated, but I have <laughs> one more personal one okay. and then I'll, back away but i'm curious a question that I, since you've been studying these these biblical con these biblical translations and really looking at these in depth i want to know from a per, this is just personal curiosity why did the bible end oh if god is alive today mm -hmm. yesterday today and tomorrow mm -hmm. if he's still speaking to people if he's still moving in our churches and he's moving in our congregations and the holy spirit is alive and active today why in the hell did the Bible stop? I don't understand. I don't understand. It's a good question. Yeah, that's oh, a great that question. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, there's so many intertestament, intertestamental books and like other books that were in the New Testament that weren't even included. So like that's a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> like why does right. this in and this out? But um, I love that question that you asked and I've never honestly even considered it. So I'm so happy that you asked that because now it'll be keeping me up at night. I just don't this. understand why we just came and said, okay, like we're just stopping here. It's like right. God has said all that he needed to say and we're stopping. Because as you mentioned earlier, like even with the discrepancies, you aren't put off because it's like, okay, because he's working with people, right? right? And you look at these different verses, what's happening in Leviticus and what's happening in Matthew, mm -hmm. a lot, hundreds of years have passed mm -hmm. and God's working with people. So you see the trend, you see the difference. Well, it's now been 2000 years. Right. So, I mean, so, I'm assuming God's probably been doing some stuff. I mean, just maybe. <laughs> Fingers crossed, I guess. I know. So the one thing is that's cool is that, um, this is not, this is, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's neat. One of the guys that's um, kind of been encouraging me, helps me on, he actually has a collection of Bible translations of like, 
he has one of like written in the 1800s of like someone that just did the whole thing in poetry form, like all this stuff. And so take heart because I know, um, I think people have had that same question that you've had of like, Mm. God has been working. How can I, how can I use this book to like put a name and like put a voice to what he's been, to what he's been doing? Um, but I think it's a great question. Um, I also am big on incarnational theology. I'm big on um, also like something that's kind of just been stirring me lately because the church calendar we're in, uh, resurrection, and saying I'm going to try my best to find to find life in the midst of something that seems to be dead or dying or has stopped in this case, and mm. and that's a challenge for me. I'm I'm. My husband says I'm a pessimist and like, I'm always like, I'm a realist. And he's like, gross. That's Amen. Thank say. you. My husband says the same thing. <laughs> I'm a realist. Listen, I'm just not interested in setting us up for failure. Okay. <laughs> so that's a challenge for me because when I see something like that, I'm like, yeah, screw that. Why did you stop? Why did you? It's a challenge for me to really, um, contemplate that and to say like where can I find life in something that seems really unexplainable and something that maybe died before it was ready to you know since in in given this context that we're talking about and so um I think honestly I'm because I'm just trying to think of it right now on the spot but like if if we were to have a record like if the bible were to explain all of these things for I think about history Everything we've gone through, all the different wars and um, cultural wars and, you know, slavery and rights and, and genocides and like all of these different things. If we were to have sort of like the Bible now that we have, but that like explained all these different things, or I wonder what our response um, would be to that. Because when I look at the Bible, I see this I see something that I see that's so beautiful about it is that it was is just this certain time period and it is just a written history of like what's happened between these two things and what's beautiful about that is that we get invited into trust that the arc of it says something and that the arc of it is saying something now that there's something that the bible can still teach us um, in terms of spiritual truths that we get to do now. But I wonder that if we had something written, we wouldn't get to experience the spirit as much as we do if we lean into mm-hmm. that now. And so I don't know the answer to that. But um, I know for me personally, I absolutely love that it's a culturally bound book because mm-hmm. I get to then say, oh my gosh, like, the arc of this is that God is constantly moving towards justice and equality and goodness. And I see that. And so now mm-hmm. I get to say, I, I'm at a road. This way leads to hurt and pain. And this way leads to justice. And I might not know all the answers, but you better, you know, sure as hell if I'm going to take the justice route. Because the arc of how this thing is happening is always that. And I don't know that I or you or anybody else would necessarily have to do the wrestling if it was always written out. And I think that's always Mm -hmm. been the intention is that Mm -hmm. we, we wrestle with the mystery of the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Going back to, I guess a good question then Israel, I was just listening to, I think it was Rachel Held Evans Mm -hmm. talked about it in inspired. I think 
She's talking about how Israel didn't have their land like a lot of, and they didn't have a place to have a temple and stuff. And so I don't remember if she said it or if, if this was just what my thinking was like, is that the part where they're like, okay, we're going to have to start writing this down. So we have something to take with us. And, oh. you know, cause they didn't have their own, place right. permanently like so many of these different there like the Bam- Babylonian Empire and all that um, so it just made me wonder like it was an oral tradition it was kind of it seems like it was somewhat forced to be written down or written down out of necessity but then once we kind of realized maybe we don't need to keep writing this stuff down like when Jesus came back and was teaching us maybe well, was trying to establish what the spirit of the law was and what the mm-hmm. whole point of the law was. And then it was like, okay, well, maybe we don't need to keep doing it written and we should go back to the oral, but then we have Paul's stuff. And I don't know. It's just, it is really confusing to think about like, why was it written down when it was? And then why did we stop? That was such a good question. So <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> I didn't even think it about that. Confusing. It really is. It's a super good question. And all I can think right now is why are we so okay with this silent period that we call between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but now we're not okay with it. God can't be quiet anymore. <laughs> like, I need him to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's like, there's so many like Second Temple writings and Intertestament writings of that, of people that aren't okay with it. But yeah. um, just, I don't know, a group of people got together and said, this is who's in, this is who's out. And so now we have the canon. And um, it really begs the question, though, like if you read some of those, I don't know if any of you have it, if you read some of them and you're able to read them and go like, oh, this has something to tell me about even just what was going on. And it mm-hmm. really like brings, sheds light on some of the confusing parts because you're like, oh, OK. Mm-hmm. And then you're also like, why did they include this one? And then some of you are like, that's why they didn't include this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess possibly we could even look at some writings that we have by Christians in the last thousands of years and say, maybe we do have a continuation and we just haven't accepted it as canon. Yeah, I think sometimes that that is the case. And I also think sometimes um, we just don't know and nobody wants Mm -hmm. to admit it. I mean, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. easier to go oh, this is canon and that's not. And we just don't answer questions besides going, this whole thing is a freaking mystery and we don't know what to do about it. Listen, (laughs) I was raised fundamentalist and there is an answer to everything. Exactly. (laughs) Tell us the answers, Seth. Tell us the answers. (laughs) I'm going to leave that up to you, but just know that the answer is out there. Hey, I have some Pentecostal in my background. It was demons. There you go. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Oh, I wanted to know, like, who are your favorite female theologians? And like, I was going to put a number on and I was like, no, just tell me your favorite ones that come to mind, however yeah. many that is. <laughs> okay, and then so, I guess okay. maybe LGBTQIA plus theologians yeah. too okay, that you've so, consulted. I would love to know. This is called Getting Involved with God, Rediscovering the Old Testament by Ellen Davis. That was a good okay. one. Okay. An introduction to Womanist Biblical Interpretation. I have not read this one yet, but she comes recommended by one... Pete Enns. Um, oh, Pete Enns. I know he's been it? on Enns. Oh, okay. I've heard Naisha on on his podcast. Who else, oh, is she, who else recommends her? I'm um, sure she's amazing. Rachel Hall. Wait, what's her name? Oh, there you go. I know who is one of my favorites. She was literally... Her Searching mm-hmm. for Sunday was my absolute first 
like dip into deconstruction and was like, oh my gosh, this is a woman. This is amazing. And she, <laughs> I am so terrified and sad. I can't. I know what you mean. <laughs> um, this one I haven't read yet either, but it looks really good. Womanist Midrash, a reintroduction to the woman of the Torah and the throne by Wilda Gaffney. I have it on my list on Amazon okay, for sure. I can't wait. Get that. So, oh, okay. you can't surprise Raya. <laughs> I know. Gosh. Me. I'm telling she's, you, Bonnie, I love well-led. what you're doing. <laughs> I love that you do. I'm okay, so excited. Um, oh, she's one of my faves. Amy Jill Levine. Ooh. Okay. Oh, did I stump you? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That's why I wanted recommendations. She's super good. So I, don't, I haven't read this one yet. Entering the Passion of Jesus. A Beginner's okay. Guide to Holy Week. I felt like, look at her. Ooh. Look at, don't you want to be her best friend? Yes, absolutely. I know. Okay. <laughs> yep. I have to also tell you, I have this weird thing. I hate seeing the author's photos. Hate it. Because when I'm reading the book, they look a certain way based on how they're writing. And it's never <laughs> the way they actually look. And I, I guess that. You know what I mean? And so when I saw Amy Jellivine's picture, I, in my head... She was like 25 and whatever. And so when I saw this, though, I was so pleasantly surprised because yeah. she's a woman that knows what she wants. Um, okay. Let's see. <laughs> this one looks good, too. Saving the Bible from ourselves. Oh, that sounds good for sure. Right. Sounds like we need to start a book club. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Oh, um, Christina Cleveland. I love her. Awesome. Have you read her stuff? Uh-uh. I want recommendations too. <laughs> I'm you super excited. Read her stuff, and then you need to write <laughs> Come me and tell on, me Raya. what you think. Seriously, what's wrong I, with you? Oh my you? gosh! Well, I came from like my last church was this really terrible, like very Calvinist and very like um, complementarian. And so when I would ask for like female theologians, it was just I don't very know what you're pitiful. <laughs> well, and it was like, oh, great. Thanks for this women's Bible study to tell me how to cook and clean. I need to know how to lead my family because my husband's crazy. Let's get yeah, back to life. <laughs> like, okay, seriously, this is real life. And so I know. No, okay. Christina Cleveland is legit. She is so legit. Has anyone else read her? Awesome. No, I haven't. Oh, my gosh, guys. <laughs> you have to go read her. <laughs> and i know a lot of people don't think she's a theologian but glennon doyle is one of my favorite people of all time um amazing awesome. i know i love her do you know her mm-hmm. is that like are you lying to me huh no <laughs> ray knows people don't know ray if you know this people, bonnie but ray ray is not kind personally of a okay <laughs> people know her. i thought you were she going, follows all the cool people <laughs> I thought you were, I don't she's know. a big she deal. kind of is a big deal <laughs> She's bringing this no. whole podcast up to another level. I if I become is. a big deal, feel free to punch me in the face. It's fine. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, I, won't punch I have you. no desire to be a big deal. <laughs> well, I am super excited by everything you can bring to the table. And I love talking to Rhea and Elizabeth and Seth, but it's so refreshing to talk to women who have experienced some of the things I've experienced mm. and can share some of those things. But uh, so I'm super excited by the list that you're sharing. But I have I have one question, if it's yep. okay with everybody, if I ask one last question. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're basically doing a Bible story for adults. Mm-hmm. So what is the story that you feel like you've been most surprised by as you do the translation on it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that's kind of tough because so many of these I had like, already kind of known you know what I mean um Mm -hmm. but the Abraham Isaac really surprised me because I there's a lot of mystery in there so it really surprised me just about um confirming that like God always uses 
our language to mm. get our attention um, mm-hmm. and constructs that we know and we understand. Um, and so that just like was again, like a reminder for me. So I really like that. Um, and Genesis two and three, Oh my gosh, it kicked my ass. Like it was so hard. And I basically wrote the first, we go back and forth, me and my editor, and I like sent it to him. And he was like, he's like, he wrote me back. He's like, we need so much work on this. I have to redo the editor. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know. Because <laughs> it was so hard. I could not get out of, even though I don't believe it to be true, of this like seven day literal creation literal Adam and Eve I could not get that out of my head because I didn't realize how ingrained it was Mm -hmm. um yeah and so that was it was literally made my brain hurt like I was like I cannot that's just so hard even looking at the Hebrew and being like I see I see what this says I see that the tree of good knowledge is actually the tree of wisdom I see Mm -hmm. and um but one of the things that like shook me the most was um so at the end when he's after they eat of the fruit. Um, well, and that was the other thing. It's just like, oh, yeah, it doesn't ever use the word sin in this text. This whole idea of the fall, mm. we've made that up and read into it. It never says anything about that. That, like, this was the first time and it, like, reverberated and everybody screwed now. Like, we made that. So, like, that was a big, like, oh, whoa wow. moment for me. Um, But one of the things I always found the at the end when after they've eaten and God says like God curses the snake and then I always thought and then he cursed Eve and then he cursed Adam Um, but the language there which I did not know until I was translating it is that he actually only curses the snake he never curses Adam and Eve he's saying this is just the way it is now but I will meet you there Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's different Right? Like, this isn't this God that hates us. <laughs> That's not yeah. different. That is life-changing. That is not different. That yeah. is life-changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute, buddy. And so that was a huge, like, oh, my gosh. And then when you dive deep in there, the um, the the text that we always read says, um, I will increase your, cha- your pains in childbirth. And... Mm-hmm. Um, who was, I think it was Enns that I was listening to and he referenced so-and-so and there is uh, scholarship and the Hebrew language backs it up. It's not widely taken, but again, I took the this road because I'm like, no, because this is, I think, supportive of the text entirely, supportive of the Ark and supportive of who mm-hmm. the God is in the rest of scripture. So the text says like, I will increase your pains in childbirth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea there is like, he's saying... I mean, the the whole point of it is childbirth. Like, she's going to be the mother of creation. Like, women are the ones that are going to move us forward, right? And so, that's Mm -hmm. actually a gift. And so, I, what you can translate it as, instead of pains in childbirth, as sorrowful, sorrowful conceptions. Um, Mm -hmm. And you see that then played out in the history. Like, you see these women who are barren. You see women who you know, can't have any kids or who do have children and their children fight. Or you see, you know, Ishmael and Isaac, you know, you see all these different yeah. things. And to me, that, that changes was, it a lot. Mm-hmm, yeah, Cause it it's not this curse, but it's this of God saying like, Hey, you're going to move us forward, but it's, there will be times that it will be full of grief. 
And, um, like I'm with you in that. And so the story ends, um, and this is totally from Midrash, like from basically 98% of all the Midrash I read, but in Jewish society, what they believe, and even today in like Jewish religion is that God took, so it says that like God, like we always hear they sinned, God curses them, and then like they're expelled and that's it. But like they sin and then God sits with them and knits clothes mm. for them. And it's like, it's actually this beautiful picture of God saying like, well, here we are now and I'm still with you. Oh, wow. Mm. Um, and in Jew, so like that is, a, that's in the text plain and clear, but everybody's just conveniently skipped over that. But in Jewish Midrash, something that they say is that when God knits clothes for them is he actually takes the skin off the snake and uses that skin to knit their clothes as like this ultimate mm -hmm. act of redemption. And mm -hmm. like, that was so beautiful of this picture of God saying like, Hey, this happened and I see you and I hear you both with a woman of like, Hey, you're increased, like you're going to be increasing and it's going to be tough, but I'm still with you. And mm -hmm. then with the man, like all your work is going to be in toil, but I'm still with you. And then he takes something that is such a symbol, symbol for shame in our society, but he uses it to make new clothes for them to start new mm -hmm. with him. It's like, it was such a beautiful picture. I was like, just on the ground like that is that is amazing and that changes the whole story like we aren't these people yeah. that God hates and just like abandoned and left and we're all screwed like he just sits with us in our pain and he uses the very thing that seems to be destructive and bring death to actually redeem and bring life and like that sets the stage totally different than the story we've all been told about it. That's so awesome. And I'm so glad that that's the story that you told. And I promise I'm not crying. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I'm sure I can only imagine how many stories you've gone through at this point. And I'm, I'm hoping that you'll keep doing more. <laughs> but um, as somebody who, you know, is like I said before, is in the middle of all this deconstruction stuff, like hearing you say these things is just so, it just makes my heart so happy. And it just like echoes everything I feel. I feel like, like, like everything I feel inside of me, I feel like you're saying and like your translation is probably going to say to me. And so I'm just so thankful that there's people out there who are saying like, no, let's, let's go back and let's look at this again. Because I think that maybe we looked at it through the wrong eyes and maybe let's look at it one more time. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank mm -hmm. you. That's really great. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for coming on our podcast today and sharing your stories with us. I just, I'm really excited. So is, are some of the books already published or are you, how are you publishing it? Book by book or all together? So it'll be all together to the backers. We'll get it first. So they'll get their, um, like I'm still writing it right now. So they'll get their um, February of 2020. They'll get it. So this coming February. Um, cool. But yeah, so if people, but then after that, like we'll do pre-sale and then shortly after that, everyone else can get it. But I am going to do like a pre-release, just 20 episode podcast so that people could sort of like hear more stories like this or whatever behind it. So that when, cause it, it is yeah. so different that even people that are like so ready and open to it are like, wait, what, where'd you get that? How did you, do you know what I mean? And so they just want to yeah. know. So we're going to release that as well. So if you want, if anyone wants to know about it, you can go to the Kickstarter page, which is still there. You can go to Kickstarter and just 
search Tim Shell translation and it will show up. Um, but also if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook and you want to be notified of when it's going on presale, you can just send me your email and then you'll get added to an email list. That's awesome. And you get it. So it's, yeah. so it's Tim Shell, T-I-M-S-H-E-L. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's correct. And you're, you're on Instagram. Is there something special about the name? I am on Instagram. It's just Tim Shell Translation. Um, and then, yeah. So, um, the Hebrew, like that. Everyone's like, oh, did you get that from Steinbeck? And I actually haven't even, it's out of his book, Isabi, I haven't even read that book. So I'm like so ashamed. <laughs> I need to read it so I can stop feeling like a phony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what everyone says. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll read it. I just, I think I'll read it on the beach when I'm done. Like right when we go on vacation, right that's when the, right. I'm done. Good so plan. I'm like, I should read that's it right. on there. Good plan. Right then. Mm-hmm. That's my plan. Perfect. Um, but um, so there's actually a theological and a personal story behind it. So the it's in Genesis, and it's right when um, Cain kills Abel, and God. It's this idea of conscience, and it's this idea of God saying like, "Hey, you you actually have a choice. You have a choice. It means thou mayest, or you you have a choice." Is how it's translated. And He's saying like, "You have a choice here. Like you can either choose to kill your. You could have chosen to kill your brother, or you could have chosen not to." And so on a practical level. That was so big for me in my deconstruction, but also in how we approach the Bible. Like we have a choice to either abandon the whole thing or to dig in. We have a choice to read it a certain way or to ask questions. We have, you know, we have, we're confronted with all these choices when it comes to our relationship with God. So, um, and that's really what Tim Shell represented to me of, um, hey, like, I believe that we have a choice in how we interact. That is like, we are key players in this and um, this is a dance with how we wrestle with scripture. Um, but on a personal note, so um, if you haven't listened to it, you should now, but uh, Mumford and Sons wrote a song called Tim Shell, and mm. it's a really beautiful song. And um, when we had our son as a stillborn, we lived in Colorado, and one of our favorite spots was Red Rocks Amphitheater. Have any of you ever been there? Yes. Oh, I don't know if I've been to Red Rocks, but I've definitely been to an amphitheater. I was young. Though. I haven't been there. It was really it's cool. It's a spot I want to go oh, to. It is, oh, it's so great. If you get a chance to um, see like a band who even remotely anyway. like, you should go. And even in the <laughs> yeah. summer, they have movie on the rocks there. So you should just, it, it was beautiful. But um, so we actually hiked up um up there and we spread his ashes um we got him we chose to get him cremated so we spread Mm -hmm. his ashes up there and um as we hiked down we just like turned on our playlist because it was just like oddly silent and we just needed something anyways that song came on and if you listen to it you'll understand why that would be important because the lyrics are like really poignant but um because Mm -hmm. that um, event in our life was such a catalyst to our deconstruction mm. um, on a personal level it, it made sense from that angle as well yeah definitely yeah, that's great that's yeah. deep <laughs> thank you so yes. much bonnie thank for joining us for having me i seriously am so excited that we did this yeah for sure well i'll have to have you on depth of echoes yes i would love that that'd be awesome so people can follow your project on instagram and facebook at Tim Shell Translation. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And we can follow you as well. Is that right? Bonnie Gale Lewis? Oh, yes. Uh huh. I don't post anything fun. Yes, but Bonnie Gale Lewis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's I'm no like problem. I'm still following I'm you. Like, John are the recipes of old. 
you know what? I just tried to be a person that, yeah, no more recipes. And I just tried to be a person that posted something interesting. And it actually worked out because it brought a lot of life. And I said like, hey, it's okay that your faith evolves. Like, what are some things? You know, you can do those stickers where people answer questions. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what is something that you don't hold on to anymore? And um, all these people like wrote in and said like, you know, biblical inerrancy or I'm now gay affirming or, you know, all these different things. And so then I just shared the stories and then I ended up saving it as one of those highlights. So you can like, that would be really good um, for you to go look at because like you said, to see somebody else like speaking like, oh, this is how I feel or whatever. Um, I can't tell you the amount of people that wrote me that were like, oh my gosh, this, like I'm in tears reading this because I thought it was the only person that was deconstructing like I didn't know mm -hmm. that there were other people out there so that was that was really neat so that's my one that's my one positive um impact on Instagram so far <laughs> well you're having that's you're nice. having a positive impact on all of us and I hope you know that and I hope that you oh, I hope you. that you and other people like you who are approaching the deconstruction conversation realize we just had an interview earlier today where we talked to somebody who I felt like didn't really understand the impact they had on my life mm -hmm. and on other people's lives. And I hope that you guys really understand the impact that you're having on the lives of people who are really taking their faith and looking at it and really pulling it apart and putting it back together. And I hope you really understand how important that is to all of us. Oh, well, that's really sweet of you. Thank you for saying that. I think it's most of the days I'm like, well, this was, this was, whose dumb idea was this? So, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Like, my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. Just translating the birth of Christ like an idiot. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so anyways, I really appreciate you saying that because that's like when you have those thoughts and like all the time I'm like you should probably stop this is dumb which is actually a good reason why the Kickstarter got funded because I can't stop or I have to pay all those people <laughs> so I have to do yeah. <laughs> but so there to remember go. these kinds of comments of like no this is this is making a difference in my life that's like that keeps me going so thank you well, you're very welcome. All right. Well, you guys have a good night. And I can't believe this is your second podcast. You guys are like so legit. In all fairness, I was the only one there for the other one. So these guys are all. Okay. So it's only Lena then. Listen, y'all you, can <laughs> yeah, we have a big enough say, thing. though, that wasn't us. You were like, we'll just right. let her say that. <laughs> <laughs>